get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions. We'll dive into education issues and we'll highlight what's working in your rural communities. You'll hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Seydorf. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for tuning in to part of a series of interviews that gives us a chance to know teachers from around the country that are doing phenomenal things in their classroom. I'm excited to have the opportunity not only to talk with these fine educators, but also to introduce my co-host for this series, Ty White. Ty is the 21-22 ARSA Teacher of the Year, and this last year was awarded the National Teacher of the Year for the NREA National Rural Education Association. And he's also Teacher of the Year for the Arizona Educational Foundation. So Ty, I'm so glad that you're here. Why don't you say a few words and introduce yourself and then take the opportunity to introduce our guest of the hour. So I'm going to start by saying, and I don't necessarily know who our um, audience is all the time, but for you teachers out there to give yourself some some slack and be excited for the break that's coming up, because I know we're rolling through these last few weeks of school and people are stressed out, and I'm grateful for you to take your time and join us on these, on these sessions. Um, so our guest today is actually coming from Idaho. And even though she spent some time in Arizona, she was recognized part of the CCSSO network as the Idaho State Teacher of the Year. So not limited to just rural, she stands out in every educational um, framework you look at in Idaho. And I'm going to hand it off to her to really tell you who she is, but I just would like to celebrate because a week ago, um, Karen became Dr. Karen Lauritsen, and I think that's phenomenal. That's so exciting. So why don't you tell us about your, yourself? Well, hi, everybody. Um, like Ty said, um, my name is now Dr. Karen Lauritsen, which is so exciting to say. <laughs> and I have been a K through four classroom educator uh, for the past 21 years. And um, I've been a rural educator uh, for 12 years here in Post Falls, Idaho. Um, I recently earned my PhD from the University of Idaho. Um, I did my dissertation on educator advocacy for the education profession itself. Um, in my educational history, um, I've also earned a master's degree in special education from Ball State University, and I got my bachelor's of education degree at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. So that's where actually where I'm from is from Alaska. And so uh, some of my education and professional interests are really advocating for the resources that our rural students and educators deserve. Um, those are some things that I'm really passionate about. Um, I also really focus on trying to retain the best educators for our rural students and making sure that um, as we do that, we really maintain high standards for educators so that our kids have the best teachers that they can have. Um, and I just really want to make sure that um, as a teacher, uh, we ensure that all students and all educators have really excellent educational opportunities, uh, no matter what their zip code is. Um, I grew up in a, a small rural Montana town called Kalispell. Um, and when I say rural, I mean, we had a bell like bong, bong, like a real <laughs> giant brass bell. And then I lived in the Alaska bush in a really uh, small Clinket uh, Na Alaska Native community. And I think all of those um, life experiences really helped me understand uh, the unique needs that rural students have. Um, and then I've also taught in really large metropolitan uh, settings as well, like Anchorage, Alaska, and Tucson. Uh, so I do understand um, the differences between um, both populations of students. Um, next year, I'm going to start a new chapter in my educational um experience. And I'm going to be working with pre-service educators um, in rural Illinois. 
And so I'm really excited about that um, because I'm going to be working with some early career educators. And um, some of them are going to be teaching in big cities like St. Louis and Chicago, and some of them are going to stay in rural Illinois. And so um, they have to be kind of poised to teach in both situations. So it's going to be really interesting to me. I hope you have one of those maps on the wall in your room that says, been here, been here, (laughs) been here. (laughs) I really have been all over. It's true. You know, and and I know we're going to get started here, but I've got to say thank you because I'm tired of arguing with people because, yes, I believe Tucson is a big urban center. (laughs) It's certainly like, and people try to tell me it's a small town, but not compared to the small towns I grew up in. Nope. I mean, when when you've grown up in towns that like don't have a stoplight, (laughs) you know, and, and you've grown up in places where like there's there's no fast food and you know the only restaurant is in a bus um then you can talk about what a small town is <laughs> so you got your bachelor's in education um it sounds like that was something you maybe always planned on doing was being a teacher yeah ever since um it, it kind of i got the bug um when my second grade teacher um read the bfg out loud to us and I realized at that moment um, that teachers just weave magic. And from then on, I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you on that one. I, I want to know how reading the BFG convinced you in <laughs> that you were going to be a teacher. There were, you know, we had this class of like, you know, crazy kids and everyone would, it was out at recess, we're playing soccer, we're just, you know, all just, you know, yelling and screaming and crazy. And we came in and she would just read the book with these amazing voices. And just the fact that she was able to just, you know, use the cadence of her voice um, and to use all of these different characters. And there, you could have heard, you know, a pin drop in the classroom when she read out loud. And every kid was focused on, you know, the story and what was going to happen next. And, you know, and I just realized that, at you know, just from the way that she led our classroom, that, you know, she would really do anything that she could um, to just make learning just a magical experience for everybody. And I just thought that that was the just the coolest thing. So, Karen, you have had a variety of experiences that include rural and urban, and yet you're still in a rural community. Talk a little bit about why you're choosing to stay in a rural setting. Well, that's really, you know, something of interest here where I live, because I live about um, a five minute drive from a, a pretty, you know, large area of Spokane, Washington. And so I could easily go teach in Spokane, Washington, where the buildings are brand new and I could make 20% more money. Um, and people constantly ask me that question. Why are you here? <laughs> what, why are you doing that? Um, and, and simply put, it's because Idaho's kids deserve really great teachers. And I believe that that is why Post Falls and Idaho Um, are just full of such dedicated, talented people. And I wish that more people realized how absolutely driven and professional that our teachers are in rural Idaho. Um, Because you're absolutely right. Any of us could just, you know, drive across the border every day and our our commute would not be too bad um, where there's more resources and um, higher pay. But I really believe that everybody who is is here in our rural districts here in Idaho are here for a reason. And we're here because we absolutely know that these kids deserve the very best. So following up on a comment that you, you made about how you're poised to start working with some teachers that are going to be um, either in urban or rural settings. When you focus on those that are going to be in rural settings, how are you preparing them to make sure that they really are able to navigate a rural community? It's different. It absolutely is. Um, A lot of the things that are different um, about rural communities is that, you know, um, 
the districts are a lot different. That's something that I noticed, you know, when you work in a huge district like Anchorage uh, versus a small district like Post Falls in that, um, you know, there's only a few elementary schools, you know, and um, you might not have a lot of the the same resources. And so I think as an educator, um, you really have to rely on your other educators quite a bit. And I think that you also have to learn how to leverage your community. And I think that that's something that's really important. And I think that that is something that as a rural educator um, is definitely a benefit. And so that's something that as, you know, as a rural community, we we tend to do all the time. Um, but in a larger city is, is relatively harder to do. Like, for example, um, I'm just thinking about, you know, an example from my classroom this week. So in my rural community, I know who our journalists are in our small local newspaper. And so we have a journalist named Devin Weeks. She's amazing. And so when I have something that I, you know, need in my classroom that has to do with the news, I can like literally text Devin and she will come <laughs> in my classroom. Um, this, you know, upcoming unit of study that we're doing in writing is about how to write like a journalist. Mm -hmm. So literally all I had to do was make that community connection and say, hey, would you be willing to come in and talk to my class about what it's like to be a journalist? How do you do it? What are some of the tools that you use? And she's like, absolutely. Um, and that's what I, I, I really want to um, kind of impress upon um, new teachers in the rural setting is, is how do you do that? How do you build those relationships? Um, not only with your, with your other educators in your building, but with your community, how do you look to other people to enrich your students' education? Because, you know, maybe they, especially in a rural setting, you know, they might not have all of the experiences that students might, you know, in, in other places as well, but you can bring the world to them. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I feel is really important is because you can find all kinds of people in your community who are willing to enrich your students' lives in so many ways. And people are so excited to do that. And they love coming in. I mean, I've had, I know our local weather person and they've come in and talked to my class about weather patterns. And kids are so excited because these are local celebrities. You know? mm -hmm. They're like, oh my gosh, I saw you on the news. And, you know, and now they're in our classroom and it's really exciting. But that is a benefit of, of when you have a small community is people are excited to help. And I think that that's something that's really important. You know, it's funny because that's a good point that you have those resources locally too. But I think another fun part of living rurally is you don't ever know all the unique people you have in your community, right? We have a gentleman in Wilcox who um, worked in Utah on rocket engines. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's just, there's all these different, different connections that add to the mix. So how long have you taught in Post Falls? Um, I've been here for 12 years. And so what are your, some of your favorite pieces, your favorite parts of teaching in Post Falls? Um, well, some of the things that I really love about teaching in Post Falls is because um, you it's really like a family. Um, our, our school district, I feel, is really like a family. Um, I really get to know my students. And some of the things that's you know, really great is that it just really starts to feel like, you know, a, a family situation. Like a lot of the kids that I've taught, I taught their big brothers, I taught their sisters, you know, and you really do start to, um, to understand your families. Um, you really start to get a, a really good grasp on your community. And you're really able to kind of help your kids understand all of those different levels of community and kind of see how the, all of those are interconnected and how they intertwine. And um, I, I think that that's something that's 
been really meaningful for me because when I first moved here, you know, I, I didn't have a community here. Um, and I was, I was brand new and I didn't know anybody. Um, but after, after 12 years, I, I feel like, you know, I, I really, I really do have that. And so I feel like that's something that's really important is that building the relationships, uh, within your classroom. And then just kind of seeing those like concentric circles, you know, you've got your classroom community and then, you know, your parents. So you, you build that out and then how your, you know, your, your staff and your school district, you know, how they're a family too. And then it, that builds out to, you know, your whole community, like our community of post falls. And then that builds out to, you know, your surrounding communities and your whole state and your legislation. Um, I think it's really exciting that, you know, at our level, we're able to get more people into our classrooms to see what's happening in them. And that's um, something that I really have tried to do more as a goal for myself as an educator in, in the past few years is to really get our community engaged in seeing the amazing things that are happening in our classrooms. So Karen, that's definitely an opportunity that you've taken advantage of in your rural setting, but there are also some very unique challenges as it relates to teaching in a rural community. What are some of those challenges that you've overcome and how have you overcome them? Um, I would say that a really big challenge in our area is funding. Um, and that's because, um, you know, I've noticed that there's a lot of different ways that states um, and local municipalities do school funding. Um, in Idaho, a lot of our funding comes from our local taxpayers. Mm. And we have to run bonds and levies constantly. And we also have many people who are moving into our state uh, from California or Oregon or Washington and their states don't fund education the same way that Idaho does. And so we have a lot of people moving in and they don't understand what levies are <laughs> or why they're needed. And they think they're extra when in Idaho, they're really necessary. And so that's something that's really difficult because, um, you know, for a teacher like me, it takes months of door-to-door -door campaigning, uh, public education, and it takes, it's like a part-time job for two or three months every single year before our levy vote to get out the vote, um, to tell people what we're voting for, and to really just beg our public to support us. Um, and even with that, only 10% of our parents come out and vote. And sometimes that's really disheartening. Um, and then even after that, we still have to run a very, very lean levy um, and be super fiscally conservative so it will pass. Um, two years ago in my town, our levy failed mm. for the first time in a couple of decades. And so um, a, a few women, um, including myself, started a, a small group called Citizens for Postfall Schools um, to basically do exactly, you know, that of it, how do you educate the public on what a levy is? Um, how do you go door to door and talk to, you know, just your neighbors about what school support looks like? And um, it's something that we we do, but it's it's a big ask. Of, of teachers to have to do this every single year. And even with that, our class sizes are still, I think, the 10th highest in the nation. Um, we don't have competitive pay to draw new teachers in. And right now, the cost of living where I live in rural North Idaho is so high that we can't get new teachers. Um, because it's impossible. For example, um, my daughter uh, just graduated a couple years ago with a teaching degree. And she said, I absolutely can't live here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so she had to actually go to an urban area where she could get uh, cheaper housing 
with more, you know, more roommates and stuff like that, or, you know, that she was just able to live with, you know, other people. And um, it's sad because we just, we can't do that. Um, when we talk to our legislators about the problem, um, they say, well, we'll give you more funding when your test scores go up. And it's tough because it's kind of a, you know, a really sticky wicket when you, your test scores can't go up when you have all the problems that you need funding for. <laughs> so I would say that um, our biggest challenge um, is really that. And then also this year, um, our governor changed our our funding from enrollment to attendance-based. And so that's going to really decimate our funding because Idaho is also really suffering right now with student attendance. And so that's something that's also going to be really challenging. A lot going on there in Idaho. Yeah, I think everywhere. <laughs> that means your yearly annual budget hinges on a vote every single year? Yes. So I didn't understand that when I heard you use the term levies before. Just, Arizona has a funding equation that is supposed to be, according to our state constitution, equitable for all of our students, no matter the community. And then if a community wants to go above and beyond, they can pass an override. Mm -hmm. And so I it's kind of assumed that your levies were similar to that override process. I didn't realize you were having to vote on a budget every single year well the way that our funding works in idaho changed um about in 2006 and in 2006 our funding changed um pretty significantly to where um the large amount of our funding was transferred to local taxpayers so basically um the state of idaho only contributes to things that basically directly lead to graduation. Anything that is even remotely not involved with that. So we will say art, band, sports, school safety, school safety officers, um, anything that is like literally not tangibly connected to kids graduating from school is not included in school funding from the state. So if a school wants to provide any of those quote unquote frills, <laughs> which are not really frills at all, because there are things that parents absolutely and want for their for their children to be well-rounded people, um, the school has to ask for that in levies. And a lot of what the levies ask for, um, like I was talking about before, are for any school sports at all, uh, school clubs, uh, any contributions to school safety, so cameras, uh, secure vestibules, uh, school safety officers, um, and the like. Um, also, it goes into um, increased teacher pay, so anything that is not the bare minimum that the school or that the state allows. Um, so anything above that is what levies have to to pay for. Um, and so if, if a school wants to have instructional coaches or mentors, anything like that, that's what a levy has to pay for. Um, so it's, they, the state calls it a supplemental levy, but we really call it a, a levy that's necessary. <laughs> And some schools, I mean, you know, ours is, you know, in, in our district is like $4 million over a couple of years. And in other districts right next door, they're $25 million. And so um, ours, like I said, is is really, really fiscally conservative. And we don't have a lot of the extras that other districts have um, just because our taxpayers would not support it. Well, I feel guilty even asking you this next question because I've already heard about the work you do on the levy. But it's common for teachers everywhere to wear extra hats and take on extra duties. But it seems like that's even more pronounced in rural schools just because you don't have as, as large a staff, for example. What are some of the other things that you do to keep your school functioning? Well, a lot of the things that I do is I I spend a lot of my time working to support educators um, so that educators can best support students. 
So I kind of see myself as an oxygen mask for teachers. And I feel like that's really important. So um, I have spent a lot of my time and energy um, in the past few years doing really everything I can to be an advocate for change um, here in Idaho to try to make the education system better for um, both teachers and students. So I do a lot of making professional development for educators. Um, in our school district, we only have one professional development day a year. And so it, a lot of what us educators do is we get together over the summer and deliver professional development to each other. I feel that that's really important. And so that's something that I do um, for my school community because I think it makes all of us better. Um, some of the other things that I do is I'm the president of my teachers union. And that's something that I do to kind of help support other educators. Um, another passion of mine is uh, helping keep our community clean. And so I do a lot of litter pickup <laughs> um, because I, litter bugs me. And so that's something that I do quite a bit with uh, different groups. I do that with the Sons of Norway. Uh, which is a, a club that I belong to. Um, I also do it with um, the Post Falls Education Association. And I I do it every time I walk my dog. So um, I do that as well. And um, so I, I try to work with my students in my classroom also to kind of keep them civically minded and to show them different volunteer opportunities in our community. Uh, because I feel like that's that's really important to do. So, Karen, what does the term rural advantage mean to you? One of the things that Ty and I have talked a lot about and have asked uh, teachers that we come in contact with is, you know, there are a lot of advantages to living and working in a rural community. What's the advantage of rural for you? You know, and I, I feel like I can... I can really answer this um, honestly and well because I have experience with both being in a really big place and, you know, and Anchorage, Alaska does not seem like a really big place, but it really is. It's it's a pretty big town and um, the school district there is massive. And some of the things that I see as being a rural advantage is you are just a number as an employee you are just a number as a teacher in a really large school district. And in a really large school district, sometimes your kids are that as well. And in a small district, my kids know the superintendent. They're like, oh, there's Miss Nacarado. And, you know, as a rural teacher, I've invited the governor to my school. And my kids know the governor. They're like, that's Brad Little. <laughs> he came to our school. <laughs> and, you know, we're able to just make those relationships. And I really believe that, you know, the teachers in my entire school district, we know each other. So we can really take care of our kids throughout the entire system. There's kids that I taught in first grade and I keep eyes on them throughout their entire school career. I know how they're doing in middle school. I know how they're doing in high school. They don't fall through the cracks. We really make sure that we're doing best by them. And I think that that's really important. And we do, we try to do, you know, that for educators as well. And I feel like that's really important because that's something that is really missing, I feel, in, in larger districts is, you know, you're, you might belong to your school, but you really don't belong to your district. And you really don't feel like you belong to your town or your city, you know. Um, and I feel like that absolutely is true in a rural town. Like in Post Falls, you know, I know my mayor. <laughs> and if I needed, you know, to ask him for something, I could do that. And, you know, I also know, um, like, for example, like, you know, in my classroom, we are making this week, we're making blankets for a charity called uh, Project Linus. And 
The kids are, you know, they're cutting and measuring and using all their math skills to make these blankets and they're going to donate them. And they're, they use these blankets to give to uh, children who have either suffered trauma or natural disasters. So it's really cool, um, but I don't have money for that. And so there's local businesses where I just, you know, put out the little flag and say, hey, is there anybody? And, uh, you know, there's people who just send me $150 here, you know, money here and say, I am so happy to help. And those things happen in a rural town because people know me and they know my kids. And they see the great things that we're doing in the classroom and they want to help. And that's something that is is really exciting. And I think in a larger district, sometimes, you know, you have, you know, big, uh, you know, corporations that do that. But it's not the small feel of, you know, our local construction company who wants to see good things happen in our schools. And I think that those relationships within our community is really important because it that's just you know what makes the rural go around i think and so i feel that that's that's really the rural advantage melissa every time we have a new teacher answer that question i want to revise my own answer <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one <laughs> that's that's wonderful so this is a fun question and it's funny because i when we were drafting some of our preparation on these questions right I told Melissa, this is a cheat question, but it's a great one to ask anyways. Um, I want you to tell us about like that whole proudest moment as a teacher. Something that stood out as like your, your big aha, this is why I do it. Um, I would say that, you know, it's when you're just able to make a connection with a student that just lasts the test of time. And, you know, there, there was a, a kid here in Post Falls and I taught him as, as a first grader and he had a really, uh, he's, he's had a tough life, this kiddo. And, um, he had a tough life when he was a first grader and I just loved him and I taught him and he continued to have, you know, some behavior challenges. He had challenges at home and, you know, um, Every year, you know, at my school, I would check in on him with his teachers, make sure he was doing okay. I would go and see how he was doing. And um, he ended up, <laughs> it's so silly, but he got a new knife at Boy Scouts and he wanted to show it to kids on the bus. And he got like expelled for it. And, um, his family was distraught because, you know, he just didn't have the, you know, the forethought that that was not a great idea. And so I remember our school district basically said, you know, oh, I we just don't know what to do with this kid. Yeah, You know, uh, we just he still needs to learn, but he, you know, obviously, you know, can't be at school. And so um, they said, wait, don't you have a great relationship with this kid? And I said, I always have. And so I said, how about I will every day go to the district office which is like a neutral place and i will i will tutor him and so i went to the district office every day after school and i tutored this kid and you know i didn't teach his grade level so it was like new material for me you know and so i was teaching him all this stuff and i just remember him constantly asking me what are you doing here why are you doing this and i was like because i adore you what do you think um, cause they want you to learn. What do you think? Cause you're my favorite kid. Why do you think? And I just remember every time he would look at me like this lady is crazy. And, um, every year I would keep up with him and I love it because now he's like 17 years old and he's a man, <laughs> you know, basically he comes and he trick or treats at my house every year. And the moment that just got me was when um and this is this is where that that small community comes in it was like you know that you can just news just you know in a small community just like flies um but i was awarded the the um idaho teacher of the year award at my school in my gym by the end of the day he had heard about this from his teacher because it like i guess went through the school mail 
the email. And so he heard about it. So he immediately texted his mom and said, we got to do something for her. And so he came to my school after school. And I, I get this message that says, there's somebody down here who wants to see you. And I was like, do you know who it is? The lady at the office is like, no, I don't know who it is. And so I, I had no idea who it was. And so I go down to the office and it's this kid. And he has a bag of popcorn and a gift card and a handwritten card for me. And he's like, I remembered popcorn's your favorite. I could not imagine that he remembered that after a decade. <laughs> and he was like, of course you got teacher of the year. You're the best. And he was like, even when no one else loved me and, and believed in me at school, he was like, you did. And he gave me the biggest hug and he like spun me around. And he was like, I just, I knew you would get something like this someday. He's like, I was just putting it out there because you deserved it. And it's just seeing kids like that in the community all the time and just seeing like, you know, 19 year old eyes light up and seeing a kid that I taught in Tucson in kindergarten this week, getting their master's degree, you know, and just those moments when you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, and just being able to see these people that we touch in our classrooms, you know, we have their, you know, have them for a year or two, but then they end up being these amazing people. And then we, we see all, all these things that they get to do in the world. And it's just, that's what I love. I love about teaching. And that's what I love also about being in a rural community is you, you see them more, <laughs> I think is great. And you're able to see the great things that they do. And I just think that that is something that just fills me with joy every day. Um, there are a lot of challenges that are facing rural educators right now. And you spoke about funding as being one of them in your immediate local area, as well as your state. Um, but what other challenges are facing rural teachers right now or your district? And how would you solve it? Uh, I would say um, besides uh, the cost of living in our area, um, some of the things that our students um, are having challenges with and, and thereby teachers are having challenges with um, is that a lot of our students um, are suffering from trauma. And that is something that uh, there's not a lot that I feel like teachers can do about that at home, obviously. But there are things that we can do at school if we have the right tools. Um, and we don't have in our community enough medical providers to meet their need. And we also don't have, especially in Idaho, enough school counselors. Um, they really recommend, um, you know, the Association of School Counselors recommends that we have at least, you know, one school counselor for 250 students. And here in Idaho, it's at least one to 450. And so we need to at least double the amount of school counselors that we need to be able to meet the needs of our students in the best way that we can. And to me, um, we're just not doing that. And so when our students suffer, I feel like our teachers suffer too, because we just can't do the job that we want to do to make our students feel safe at school to be happy at school. And, and that's really what we want to do. Um, I also feel that in, especially in our area of rural Idaho, um, many of our students have uh, developmental disabilities that are either um, undiagnosed or unrecognized. And so that's something that is, is really challenging in the classroom. And I feel like I can speak to that because I, I do have a master's degree in special education. So I do understand that pretty well. And I see a lot of, of students in our schools who um, just aren't being, their needs aren't being met. And I think that that's really tough for our educators because these students are, are really struggling in the classroom and we're just not able to help meet their needs. And I feel like um, as rural communities, uh, we need to have 
more medical providers and more counselors uh, to help meet their needs. But um, we also have to make you know, make it more easier for for them to come here. Um, and we have to be able to have housing for them. And we need to be able to to make it to where they can afford to live here and make a salary that makes it to where this is a place that they can be. What would you tell people who are considering becoming educators that would encourage them or, or at least attract them to rural settings? Um, well, some of the things that I'm really excited by is I've been pushing our legislators here in Idaho for years that they need to make it easier for educators to teach in rural settings. And so they have actually listened and they are doing um, some programs here in um, Idaho, at least, uh, where they're, they are providing some scholarships for educators who go to college in Idaho and then teach in a rural setting. And so I think that that's a really exciting premise. Um, I think it's a lot more exciting than our, an apprenticeship program that diminishes um, some of our professional standards, uh, because I really feel that um, our future educators are really going to get their best education um, in a college or university setting. And so I'm really glad that our legislators are willing to do that. And so for the future educators who are looking to teach in a rural setting, I hope that they um, find all of the ways that they can um, to help make it affordable for themselves and to look at all the programs that they can find um, to help them with that. But then also, um, I hope that they will talk to other rural teachers um, to basically get some some like kind of tips and tricks about how it works to be a rural teacher. Because I think that we learn best from each other. And I, I think that a lot of times, um, especially new teachers, try to do everything on their own because they're really trying to feel like they are... Um, you know, they've got it, that they're smart, that they, you know, I went to school for this, I should know what I'm doing. Um, but they really do need to rely on other teachers. And one of the things that I believe um, is best about teaching in a rural setting is that you can learn from rural teachers all over your state. And I think that that's something that, especially with the advent of Zoom, with the advent of the internet, is easier than ever. Um, it can be really hard to teach in a rural setting because a lot of times, and especially if you're super rural, um, it might be really hard to get fresh ideas and new perspectives. Um, but looking into professional organizations um, can really open your eyes to how many teachers are at your disposal and how many great ideas you can get. And so that's what I would tell a future educator who's looking to teach in a rural setting is don't get siloed in your school. Uh, don't get siloed in your town. Um, there are so many teachers just like you in your state and all over the country, and you can find them. And you can find them by belonging to professional organizations, whatever that is for you. If you're in math, it's you know a, a math professional organization. It could be your union. It could be anything. Just whatever is exciting to you that gets you talking to other teachers because it's going to make you a better teacher. It's going to make you feel more connected to other teachers. And it's going to make you feel like you're a part of this teaching family. And I think that especially as a new teacher, that's something you need. I'm going to follow that up, though, because it's interesting. I kind of I like your idea that I think teachers that go to college to get that training and experience and the background content. I think that's a good model. I think it's worked for a long time. But the challenge, for example, in Arizona is that those teachers at, at the University of Arizona or at Northern Arizona they're living and getting their internships done in urban centers. Mm -hmm. They don't really get much exposure to rural. And, you know, the first part of your answer was they need to talk to rural teachers. And then another part was, um, 
uh, that idea about they need to do the college route. How do you get them from the college setting out to your rural communities or exposed to rural teachers? Well, I remember when I did my like college experience. I mean, it wasn't in like a really huge town, um, but they made us do lots of different experiences <clears throat> and lots of different types of schools. And I thought that that was important um, because not like, you know, and when I was actually applying at um, the the college that I'm going to be teaching at in Illinois, um, they actually spoke to this. And one of the things that they said was, you know, they said, well, you know, we're in Decatur, Illinois, which is about 70,000 people. They said, but some of our students are going to be teaching in super rural areas and some of them are going to be teaching in St. Louis. And so what we try to do is get them at least one practicum experience where they're going to be in a fairly urban setting. And then we're, we also make sure that they have at least one or two practicum experiences in an in a rural setting. And so they try to at least make sure that their student teachers get both. So for example, if, you know, a student was getting, um, you know, a teaching certificate in, in Tucson, they would also have to, as part of their learning experience, go to a, a more rural district, even if it is a bit of a drive and do some, some practicum hours there as well. You know, that sounds like the kind of model that could heal America right now. Right. <laughs> Living, I think it's really good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good model, and that's something that when I actually had the choice of, um, I actually got two jobs that I got to choose from in Illinois, and that's actually why I chose the university that I did was because I was really impressed with that model. So, Karen, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we bring into the conversation? Um, I think one of the only other things that I wanted to talk about. Um, was just impressing on um, teachers, especially uh, teachers who are are rural, um, to just make sure that, you know, they understand um, how to advocate for the things that their students might need. And that might look different for every teacher, and it might be different about what, you know, what they're comfortable doing. But I just want, you know, teachers to kind of understand that that is a part, I believe, of being a rural teacher. And it's it's a little bit challenging. Um, that is one of the things that really surprised me when I went from a really large urban district where I had more than enough <laughs> of everything. And I had a fairly substantial school budget every year that I could spend on my classroom. And then I got to a rural district and I remember I got into my classroom and I said, well, what's my budget for the year? And there was like people looking around and there was the sound of crickets. And then there was some nervous laughter and they're like, what does she mean? (laughs) And I was uh, a little bit embarrassed. And I was like, well, like how much money do I have to spend on my classroom? And they're like, "Um, yeah, yeah, we don't have that here. And um, I was kind of surprised and I was like, oh, 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 and (laughs) yeah. And so that was something that, you know, was kind of surprising to me. But also I realized didn't have to be the status quo. And so um, I've really spent a lot of my time as an educator really um, fighting for the things that I feel like my students deserve. And like I said, um, that doesn't mean that every teacher has to be, you know, at the state capitol banging on doors. Um, but it, it can look different for every teacher. It can just look like asking your community for help. It can look like um, inviting people into your classroom to see what it's really like um, for your students today so that maybe they do see that you need more counselors. Um, I just want to encourage educators to realize because that just because it is the way it is today doesn't mean that that's the way it has to be tomorrow. 
And um, just because your whatever your school situation is, um, is the way it is, there's always something that that we can do. And you can do that, but you can't do it alone. And so I think that that's really important is to find your people uh, who can help you along the way. I'm just going to say, if those quotes haven't been linked to someone already, I think you need to trademark them. <laughs> I, I was sitting here sitting, waiting to point out, it doesn't have to be the status quo, right? We Everyone tends to think of the status, well, status quo as being static, and it's just this fixture, and it doesn't have to be. Like, that was great. And then you said, you followed um, just because it's that way today doesn't mean it has to be like though that's that's powerful that's inspirational god <laughs> what a great that's exciting that's a great new tagline I, i've got a new tagline to put on my email <laughs> make sure you credit the new doctor absolutely. <laughs> well, karen thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure to talk with you yes thank you for inviting me it was great to speak with you both Thank you to Trainual for sponsoring The Rural Scoop. Trainual is the number one software for process documentation and employee manuals. It puts everything into one simple, searchable system that is easy to navigate, is clearly organized, and is simple to access. It's perfect for schools and even entire school systems. If you're using something like a Binder or a Google Doc, Trainual offers a better way. You can design your training manual to function as a learning module and assign different material to groups like classified staff or certified teachers, departments, or even committees. Trainual can also help your continuation plans as well. For example, your chemistry teacher can log how they've organized the storage room, making it easier for the next person who takes that job. Trainual makes your employee handbook easy to delegate, easy to consume, and easy to search, and just, well, overall easier to run your school. Listeners of The Rural Scoop get 10% off their first 12 months by using offer code RURALSCOOP. When you sign up for your free trial, just enter Rural Scoop one word, as a promo code, and it'll automatically apply. Just go to trainual.com to get started. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. And be sure to follow on Twitter at Dr. Sadorf. That's D-R underscore S-A-D-O-R-F so that you never miss a new release. You can also check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Production support for The Rural Scoop is provided by Chattanooga Podcast Studios. Find out more at ChattanoogaPodcastStudios.com. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.